Welcome everybody to Way Way Off Off Broadway podcast. Oh, it's such a mouthful when you have to say it out loud uh, after not saying it for so long. Uh, I'm Tyler. I am here today with our lovely guest Kyle and our co-host Weston. Uh, I'll let them introduce themselves and uh, then we'll get going. Kyle, uh, floor's with you. Hello, my name is Kyle Burgess, and I am a local actor around Evansville theater scene. I have done around eight productions this past year with uh, various theaters around the area, including Actors Community Theater of Jasper, Evansville Civic Theater, Evansville Shakespeare Players, and Stage 2 Productions. I've also just recently got cast in Avenue Q at Stage 2 Productions as Rod, uh, which is really exciting. And I'm also going to be appearing in The Rivalry at the Lincoln Amphitheater this summer. Nice, nice. And my co-host today, the lovely, controversial Weston. Take it away, Weston. Uh, hi, yes, I am Weston Whitehouse. I am known around the theater community as a controversial person, but I am taking a few months off of acting, and I'll be directing a show at Newburgh at the American Legion called Occupation Murder. It's a dinner theater. And I will also be stage managing uh, the show that Kyle is in at the Lincoln Amphitheater this summer as well. Um, so we got Kyle with us today, and we're kind of going to go through an arc where we talk about, you know, growing up in theater, because essentially that's what Kyle has done. We talked earlier about how you started, you know, church plays, kind of community yeah. stuff like that. And your mom convinced you to do a theater camp around eight, ten years old. And that's where your journey kind of kicked off, right? Yeah. Well, I started doing church Christmas plays around the time I was like, like six years old, but I had always loved singing since I was like little. I remember used to watching um, the Bon Jovi concert DVDs and listening to my dad's rock CDs and um, in his uh, little black case that he had. And it had stuff like Ozzy Osbourne, Aerosmith, Foreigner, Journey. I mean, it had a, a plethora of 70s to 80s music. And so I grew up on music pretty early and I think I first kind of got the bug when I was in church, when I did all these Christmas plays, we would do these every single year. My mom would actually direct some of them. I started off in the children's choir and then I actually graduated up to playing more leading roles. So then my old high school, me and Weston's old high school, Boonville High School, they have a day camp every single year. It's one day and basically it's elementary school kids around the area can sign up to do this one camp called Drama Day Camp where basically they learn different aspects about the theater. They'll learn about pantomiming, improv. They'll learn a song, a dance. They'll make costumes, basically drawing with a marker on a t-shirt for the costumes. And then at the end of the day, they perform this musical number that was choreographed and they learned and they get to show the parents that at the end of the day. So during um, lunch, they would play some theater games. But for those who wanted to, could go and audition for the children's ensemble of the spring musical that they were doing that year. And I know that Boonville has had a history of a giant children's cast. Uh, some were like over 
like 90 i heard of one time maybe 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 i'm wrong and some were just one because i did one by myself right right <laughs> well that's just because right. nobody else wanted to be around you yeah <laughs> So I was special and I got asked to do Footloose. <laughs> I played the dead son. It was like a flashback. So yeah, they've had up to tons of kids and me just one because you know, I like to be a diva and have a moment. Now, did you all meet in the summer musical program there or did you all meet back in day camp programs or not till later on? Yeah. Kyle, what was your first show at Boonville? My first show at Boonville was Hello Dolly. And that's actually... Uh, funny story about that. I thought that the audition was actually just another theater game because we would just go into the uh, to Judy McNeely's, the the director's room, um, and would basically just say our name and where we were from and how old we were. And I thought I was going to have to sing something. I thought I was going to do something. But then we left and I thought, oh, I did an audition. I guess this was just another theater game. So I told my mom, oh, I didn't get to audition, maybe next year. And then I got a letter in the mail saying that I got cast in Hello, Dolly. And how so, it was born. Was that my, oh, God, this make me sound older. Was that my freshman year? Mm, what year did you graduate? 2010. Okay. That was 2008. I know, 2010. Um, I want to say that was my freshman. Oh, wait. Hang on. There's math. Keep going. I'll do math in a second. <laughs> okay. Oh. But yeah, but that was kind of my very first audition, as you will. And I ended up falling in love with all the aspects of theater, making friends and getting to perform at a show in front of people. I only, I only did like one cross as my very first debut, but Honestly, it was it was just being on stage that just gave me that rush. What draws you to the spotlight then? I don't know. It's 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 just I think it's not just the moment of doing it. I think it's mostly the process of getting to that moment, the rehearsals, the bonding, the friendships, and then also getting to perform for an audience and getting to experience that rush of you got to get this right in one take and get this right because i know that scares the heck out of people uh, especially film people that are just like oh my gosh i can't understand how you feel how you people on stage do this while we do like 50 different takes what about you wes you're kind of spot you, you, you kind of do a little bit of front and back of the house stuff i do with Everything that's kind of gone on recently in the community of theater, I was like, you know what? I want to take a break from being on stage and focus more on the director aspect of it and stage manager aspect of it where you can control the drama and stop it in its tracks instead of let it continue to grow and continue where because as an actor, you have to kind of keep quiet and don't cause more drama but bring it to people right some of it was addressed some wasn't with different productions i have worked on i was like you know what i'm too old for this i don't want to do it for a hot minute so i'm going to take a back seat and do the directing and stage managing it, since you enjoy the whole aspect of that community building most of your productions have you been in 
Mm-hmm. Are they drama free or is it one person bringing it or everybody bringing it? It honestly differs from different productions. Um, I know I usually tend to stay away from the drama and try not to cause any drama. But, you know, there has been a few productions that I've seen, like one person brings in the drama and everything, all the drama is revolving around this one person. And then another thing is that there is groups of people that are fighting with each other or just like two people fighting with each other. So it's like, I don't, I don't join that, but I just like, I watch from afar and, you know, make sure that I'm not a part of it. Kyle, let me ask you this. Yeah. Has it been worse with the drama since COVID has happened? Because that's for me when I see, I have seen most of the drama really escalate is after COVID. But maybe I was just oblivious to it or ignored it because I was like, you know what? I'm just there to work, have fun. Right. But recently, since coming back, since COVID, I feel like there's been more drama. But I haven't been in the theater scene since really, I want to say Rocky was my first show back, the Christmas show, since COVID. Right. So maybe I've been out of it for so long, I forgot all the drama. But has it been worse since COVID has happened? Well, I mean, there's some aspects that get, that have been worse. I, of course, I kind of joined, like, pretty quickly after COVID, so... But, you know, some people just have that pent up anger and emotion, especially after not working. And, and, you know, there's a lot of other things that personal things that can go from past to present. I mean, like there was Lincoln drama that was rekindled and then there was new Lincoln drama after COVID. So it's just like it just depends. Like I don't notice a huge shift, but that's just me probably. Maybe I'm just old and cranky all the time now, so I just notice it more. <laughs> Maybe that's why I just notice it more. I'm like, God, people, get your shit together. Right. Do you think that ultimately a little bit of drama can make a show better? A little bit of behind the scenes tension? I think so. I think so. Um, honestly, I think if it's an act, if it's like the one actor that is kind of slacking and the rest of the people and is causing the drama and the other people are, tr- are calling them out for, you know, not putting in the time or the effort, then that definitely kind of lights a fire under their ass to, you know, get, you know, kind of get going with the rest. Cause we all want the same end product. We all want the same goal at the very end is that we create beautiful art, but there may be shows that, the tension so much that two people may never want to work with each other again, or they may never want to work with a certain company again. Listen, I'm excited about the town council for the guys section of the whole drama that's played out. And I'm going to be there front row because I just want to hear all the complaints that are nothing but minor. I'm sure, but people yeah. blow things out. Way, yeah. uh, way out of proportion. I oh, just want to sit there and watch yeah. the town council kind of go at it, essentially. Yeah, and sometimes those are kind of bonding experiences a little bit. I might learn something from it. Yeah. Maybe. True. We'll find out. So that's why I'm going to go. 
hopefully you get a forum to express your opinions. Cause I think a lot of it probably comes down to people feeling like their voice isn't heard. And even if it is heard, something might not change because I mean, you can't please everybody. You just cannot. Right. Make I think, happy. I think it's a forum where you can kind of speak, but go in with an open mind yeah. throughout the whole time, which I'm going to, I'll go with an open oh, mind sure. and then, I'll judge you later on this podcast. Oh, for sure, for sure. I remember, I remember Weston and I were in a were he well he was assistant directing a production at my high school, and there was probably some of the biggest drama I've ever seen, and it was and it was about a relationship and and family and the relationship, and it was oof, it was it was a lot, and it came to a head during a note session. It was oof, too much. Hey. Listen, it's not as bad as when I was um, helping direct at North Posey and some triplets thought they were better than everyone else. Oh, God. And so and they, they didn't think they could be replaceable. Right. And, um, I, and one of them was Sebastian. And I replaced them right before they left the auditorium. I go, see, everyone is replaceable no matter the situation. Wow. <laughs> now... This does this come from the school of thought of both of your all's um, high school director? Mm. Judy, I loved her, but she was so hardcore, but in the best yeah. way possible. Yeah, exactly. That's what I learned so much from her, even though there were days she made me cry. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It was a learning experience, and yeah. I would not change it for the world, right. honestly. And I wish everyone had the opportunity to work with her because I learned so much from her and from Sylvia. Yeah. Oh, Sylvia would kick your ass in those dance, in the dance rehearsals. (laughs) And I was vocal ensemble for two of Sylvia's shows. And, and we, and I got a cardio workout just doing vocal ensemble. And she had two hip replacements, two knee replacements, and she can out dance. Anyone. anyone. Yeah. Had it wedding singer. How did people do the, Freaking running man and stuff like that. Oh my God, that was insane. I think it was South Pacific. I have a paper clipping somewhere of her teaching choreography on crutches. It was in a paper. I might have to go find no it sometime. But <laughs> well, I think I, it was South Pacific. Honestly, that does not surprise me at all about Sylvia Waters. <laughs> no, like nothing stopped that woman. No. It didn't matter. If there was a fire drill, you were going to dance outside. And yeah. So it was all clear to come in. She got hit by um, a truck. Tornado, she, she'd be there like yeah. five minutes afterward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dedication. Did she come from a, what was her background in dance? I assume it wasn't just straight into high school teaching. No, she was a professional dancer on a TV show. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, that's right. But that was her background. So she came from a professional realm speaking of professionals uh wesson you you've been professional you have been a professional actor in the past and before you hopped on me and kyle were talking kyle when are we uh we're making our our uh, paid acting debut what's 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 the roadmap for you getting some money out of your talent you know actually i actually have done paid work before and weston can back me up on this when we did Pioneer, we did Pioneer Tale 10 years ago, and I actually got, I, I made $250 a pay period, and it was four pay periods, so I got paid $1,000. Bank. 
Bang. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so what is your what is your return to the professional acting acting world gonna happen? I'm hoping around the fall. I'm hoping to do self tapes this summer and hopefully send them out to um to various theater companies, try to get my backstage profile um back up and running, actors access, trying to just submit everything out to a bunch of theater companies. No. Oh, you're both with Lincoln. I was like, well, I have an opportunity for you. The Stephen Foster story in Bardstown, Kentucky. Hmm. They're auditioning in a week or two. But at the same time as Lincoln, I was like, oh, never mind. I have and one. That's, but. And that's a paid gig, too. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Lincoln is paid. So see, he is getting paid this summer. I'm, yeah. There we go. There we go. Make, make, make it rain. Make it rain. F- $500 oh. less, but hey, it's a paycheck. So I exactly. I ain't as, long as, I ain't as long as it cashes, it's it's a good one. Hey. Me and Weston, like our first, like our, our second date was uh, up to see you in in yeah. um, 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 that the show that's not Annie. Oh yeah, that's Matilda. Not <laughs> Matilda, Matilda. Yeah, yeah. We went and saw you, Matilda, and kind of going back to the topic we want to talk about today: uh, acting versus overacting. You were the father of Matilda. Yes. You were the one always getting in trouble. You were the one who was able to break the fourth wall with the audience. Oh, yeah. How do you how do you start from this is what I've got? How Mm -hmm. am I going to bring it to life? Yes. And then when you are on stage, you are always being paid attention to. Right. Well. I first start off with kind of spending some alone time with the character. I start with the text. I start with with the, the scene, the songs, the lines. I start kind of focusing on what this character is. And I start kind of start memorizing the lines. I hate acting with a script. I, I feel like not having a script there, it allows me to explore the character and find different nuances to what I'm doing. So I have to also kind of read character descriptions too. what the uh, read descriptions of, you know, in the lines, like what this this character may say something that is passive at first when you read it, but what, but could be something really, really important. So like with Mr. Wormwood, he was a sleazy car salesman who wasn't bright and just, he hates books. He wanted a boy and he ended up getting a girl. So, of course, he's a very dismissive father because I think of that aspect. And he's also just uh, sleazy because, I mean, he basically, basically jacked up a bunch of cars, old cars to sell to these Russian businessmen to, you know, to make a quick buck off of them by selling them a really shitty product. So that was something that I had to find a line to the story. So I had to find, and then I also had to make up my own backstory sometimes. Sometimes you're not given enough. So you have to make your own backstory to the character and think, okay, what is their parents like? What are their, what was their childhood like? What was their, their whole upbringing? What was, what experiences led them up to the moments that you see within the piece? And that's where I think that's the fun part of my job is that I get to, figure out why is this character the way this character is. And I think that's why approaching a role is very, when I approach a role, that's what I always 
think about. So now with your character building and all that, just out of curiosity, because I always like to ask different actors. So for Matilda, for example, did you go back and watch the Matilda movie at all? Do you go if there's a movie? If there's a musical that you're in that's a movie, do you go and watch it at all for inspiration or do you make it your own? I, okay, well, I usually will watch, um, I watch the movie to see what not to do because it's Danny DeVito's performance. I'm not going to copy Danny DeVito's performance. I might find nuances, especially, you know, it being, we had to Americanize it because half the kids in that cast could not do British accents. So I had to find, a different, you know, accent. I had to find it from the ground up. The only, it's the only really only tiny thing I took from that performance was just the accent. But I, at the same time, I didn't try to replicate it. I brought my own spin to it and what I've learned in, in acting and in class and what I've, you know, learned with doing dialects. But Usually when I watch performance, I see what they do and I'm like, okay, well, how can I make this my own? I'm not going to copy a performance. Used to whenever I was a young actor, I would do that sometimes. I've learned not to. And it's honestly was one of the best things I ever learned from from my training was, you know, find nuances that are akin to you and don't try to replicate what has already been done bring something new to the table. Now, when you're building this character, are you doing it all mentally or are you detailed, detailed notes? Mentally, really. I think just kind of, there may be some detail that go into it, but honestly, I kind of just find certain aspects and see what they, and see which ones land, which ones don't, and then try to make sense of the whole character. Now, this is the fun question I get to ask everybody I talk to. Okay. For those listening who don't know, which is probably almost everybody, I have a I have a mental condition called aphantasia. Okay. And it is the lack of any mental senses. So I, I can't picture stuff. I can't hear myself talking. I can't smell. I, I can't feel, smell, taste anything in my mind. I'm completely empty up there 24-7. It is me huh. alone with a... <laughs> all black silent monologue how kyle do you develop your character in mind is there a picture is there sound are you trying out scenes are you doing so much work mentally and actually going through it and experiencing it oh for sure absolutely like whenever i go over my lines i try to picture me doing it in the scene i will you and actually how I memorize lines is that I'll I'll hear myself say the lines and say the lines over again and then and then how those lines sound I'll replicate how I said them and how I said them while I was reading them the um, just kind of and also just picturing different things that I've seen like like something that's unrelated to it that I can bring to the character like the walk and and kind of a sense of what the character is that's what I kind of bring to it. No clue about how any of that works. <laughs> what about you, Weston? Do you have a pretty vivid uh, mental ability? It depends. Honestly, this is going to sound awful for directors. It depends on the show. If I enjoy the show and the process, I can learn things 
quicker. If I have actors who aren't as quick, then I'm just like, do I put in the mental effort for it as well? But I do. I do because I'm like, you know what? Even though it's a show with everyone, your name is kind of writing it because there might be another director who comes to that show and kind of sees your performance and who wants to work with you in the future. So you always have to be on your A game. You always have to prepare for it. Um, There was a show that we did recently and it was a struggle to learn our lines for one of the acts. So every time the first act was going on, we would sit down together and go through the second act together And sometimes it was the same show and sometimes it was different every night. We just did not know what was going to happen and kept us on our toes, which I kind of like where it keeps you going. And I don't like personally where I'm given strict blocking and say, okay, we've got this cue. No, like Jasmine does. I'm an organic. I like an organic. Oh yeah. You know what? Because some days different lines hit you differently. Right. And you may want to move or do something different at that time instead of like it always being locked and choreographed, which I struggle with. Man. That That's how I am as an actor. I just go off instincts. Uh, anytime that I feel like I need to do something in a song, I'll, I'll do it. Like I will, I will sometimes I'm mechanical and I will set things in stone, but other times I will, if it's just freely doing something, I'll I'll go along the same lines, but I'll find it differently every single time. Like when you threw a watch at me in Tick Tick Boom. Oh come on, no, not the watch story. Oh, you were the one. I heard about this. I'm just sitting here with it. I'm I'm sitting here with a date, and then in the middle of one of Kyle's uh, songs, he just throws his watch over to the over to the curtain, and then uh, it lands one row behind me. Oh no! It was so funny. Okay, it was so funny. Oh, I I felt so bad about that. I put, you know, it was so funny. I actually like talked about it. So basically, I had it was a. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. I I heard about this, and I was not even at the performance or in the show, and I had heard about Kyle trying to watch at someone. So this was the watch, and you see how it's a stretchy band right there. So basically, I had the watch on my wrist and we were doing the song no more which is a high energy song and i'm sweating through the show and i'm you know i i it, weston probably knows this i sweat a lot during one of the moves that i did in the song i swung my arm around and made and balled up my fist and the watch just flew off my arm because it was the stretchy band and it i just heard it go plink off the wall and then into the audience and i thought holy shit it happened right at like a downbeat where there was nothing else going on. Yeah. It, it was the only thing happening was boom. And then it bounced back. It was, yeah, it was just, just ricocheted off the wall. It was like, and I thought, Oh no. And then, and then I asked Tiffany, um, our stage manager, did it hit anybody in the audience? And she was like, yes, but we didn't want to tell you. I'm like, why didn't you not want to tell me this? Like I, I, yeah, I felt so I felt so bad. I put okay, so the funny funniest thing about that story was I actually put it an apology on Facebook saying I'm I'm Yeah, I apologize for it. And the comment section started to roast me. Then there was people that were saying like, uh, I hope you didn't clock anyone. 
or uh, time really does fly, doesn't it? Making those kind of smart ass comments. And I was like, y'all are really funny. Y'all got jokes, don't you? Um, time did fly. Time did fly. Unlike it did, it uh, did Shakespeare, fly. where time stood still. Yeah, I, exactly. uh, <laughs> I go to the Saturday night showing and uh, Tony comes out and says, hey, it'll probably be like a two hour and 15, two hour and 20 minute show. It was two and a half hours for sure. Yeah. Two yeah, two two hour thirty minutes. Yeah. Now I went and saw I know Weston, you went and saw it as well. Uh She Kills Monsters. Great, great show. In and out and like it felt like forty minutes. Like oh, yeah. one act, no intermission. Action right. was going. I photographed it like previous. I don't know if like actually watching the show was good. But uh, go ahead. What do you have to say? <laughs> what do you have to say about it? <laughs> it was not my cup of tea. They did a great job. Same. Like, I, for the longest time, the lead girl, I thought she was in high school, and I didn't know she was actually a teacher there. And because she, she kept going to the counselor and talking, and the way the counselor responded to her, yeah, she did that with the student group. I'm like, like, and then I finally caught on she was an adult. I was like, oh. So I was way far behind from the very get-go of it all. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, and Kyle, if you don't know, She Kills Monsters is about a, there's a family, it's about a family, the older sister's younger sister and parents die in a car wreck. Yes. The older sister finds her D&D book and goes into that yes. world. But yes, yes the, the kids, the actors playing the roles were so similar in age, age and yeah. mannerisms. You did not know until the very end that she was an adult teacher at the school. Right. Um, does it make the story any different? No. No. Did I like the story? Not my cup of tea. Was it over quickly? Hallelujah. And that's what I'm here for. <laughs> here's my frustration. Tell me, here's my frustration with photographers. And, and maybe you all have the same one with actors. Um, you see, You see other people doing roles that you do. And you see them do it well and you see that they can do it well, but then they don't consistently do it well and they don't do it. Yeah. It's, it's a consistency thing. They just, it's a lot of crap with some good. Do you see that in other actors where some scenes they'll just kind of meh and yeah. then some they'll hit it real hard. Yeah. I see that. I've seen performances where they don't, they are not consistent throughout the run of the show. Mm -hmm. They might be better when they know someone's there compared to when they don't know anyone at the performance. And that drives me up a wall. Right. Your performance should be the same no matter if you know someone in there or not. Because guess what? People pay the price of ticket to come yep. see a show. Yeah. Don't make one performance better than the other and cheat the other audience members who come. My philosophy is make sure – each show better than the last one. Like yep. keep topping yourself, keep going better and better and better and better and better every single show that you do. And until your last performance is the best one. Exactly. Cause like Kyle and I talked about earlier where our blocking might be different, right? but our actions behind it and throughout the show mm -hmm. don't change, but blocking might change a little bit just to make it fresh for yourself as an actor and someone else around you, but don't be 
lazy no. when you don't know someone in the audience. Right, exactly. I mean, and I I usually just throw myself at your role. I don't care like who who's in the audience. The only thing I cared about when somebody was in the audience was my mom during Rocky for some obvious <laughs> reasons. But I, I can't think of a single one. Did she go to the midnight one, Kyle? She she did. Hmm. But I, choices I, were made. Choices I, were made for the midnight I, show. Yep. Let, man, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> I, I let her know it was going to be a little raunchier tonight, that night. So Okay, that's fair. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't like to know anyone. Even if I know, if I have friends who I tell the show about, I go, don't tell me when you're going to come. Because that actually makes me more nervous knowing that you're there mm-hmm. if i if i'm in the audience acting like we did with uh fairview and i see you yep that's different but don't <laughs> tell me prior to me going on stage because then i'm like right why are you here right <laughs> when you are on stage do you try to avoid making eye contact with the audience and kind of oh yeah do you put like a mental so kyle with your with your uh mental capabilities will you build a scene in front of you and like act in a mental projection no it's not that i think it's more of like focusing with the people around you that's what i've always done with the people around me in a scene so like for example when i was doing rocky I would focus on Coco. I would focus on Preston. I would focus on H Money. I would focus on Jaden and Lily B. I would focus more on my scene partners than I would focus on the audience. And I would just see, try to make it black around me. Like they were, it is a fourth wall around me. Interesting. Because I like to build in the audience to make them feel like they're part show so i i would make uncomfortable eye contact with you until you know you're uncomfortable enough that i move on to someone else right because i want you to feel like you're part of the show as well and with the amphitheater 1500 seats you just make that eye contact with someone because you know what all of you are dying together because it's so hot out there but you know what you're going to have a great time yep while you're at the theater. So I like to make eye contact. And if I can go out and play with the audience, even better. Of course. A skill that you've always used, or is that something you've had to develop over time? And the more roles you do, the more you're able to kind of separate yourself from the audience. Yeah. I imagine the audience is a giant blob. Interesting. For me, it it kind of started once I started working with Brian and how he incorporated the audience and to make him feel part of the show. I was like, huh, even though it's not an immersive feel experience, but you can still engage with the audience in some way. So I really, after working with him, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this and see how it is. And it's a great thing to do. I enjoy it. Yeah. There are some shows that like I will, I will look at the audience. Rocky, for example, I got to look at the audience uh, on some of my lines because the one um, one rule that we had from Tony was if you're inside the castle, you can respond to the audience. If you're outside the castle, you don't respond. So so the first scenes before we got into the castle, I was just focusing on Lily B, fo- focusing on my scene partner. And then once we got to the castle, 
those walls kind of one by one just started breaking down. It was just like, okay, then I can, you know, know the audience is there with us. Such a foreign concept to me. Such a foreign concept to me. And I got to respond to the audience at the midnight show. So, you know. Okay, so what I liked and didn't like about Rocky was most of the callbacks were apparently from the freak, like it's like they're the same ones every show. It's it's they're a, known. They're known. Yeah. But with that though, it helps the new actors coming in taking over the lead roles. Yeah. So they can mentally prepare that at this moment, this is going to be thrown at you because this is really the only show where the audience responds during it vocally. And so it's kind of a mental game, especially yeah. if you're new. And if you're, and if you're, uh, and if you're playing one of the leads as well, that's because people are kind of talking over your dialogue and you have to find, and you have to basically leave space between that. Do you enjoy stages that are more like civics, raised, elevated, small? Uh, stage two, which is kind of in the round. Amphitheater, big, wide open. Hmm. Uh, is there a preference when you are when you're out there on the on the stage? No, uh, no. Honestly, for me, I any stage is anything can be a stage. I mean, I've learned that through my uh, going to USI and taking those classes about you know scenic design and how many different stages there could be. There could be black boxes. There could be theaters. I do like, I do like being on a stage in front of people, but then I also like being in the round. I thought doing winter's tale in the round was a really good learning experience because I got to learn how to use my body in that kind of space. But honestly, any stage is a stage. That's, that's my, I'm kind of easy going with that. Uh, Weston, from a director standpoint, do you prefer one versus the other? No, I just I like to be challenged as a director, and I like to be challenged as an actor. Put me in a space that I've never been in before, and see what I can do with it. Like with the dinner show, we are going to make it that immersive feel when when you kind of walk in, you're stepping into a TV show set. And so we're going to have that feel where you're only on stage during the game show and everything else takes place like behind the scenes in the audience, like behind the cameras and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're going to try that. The lighting that they have there, I don't know if we're going to be able to but until I get told no, we are going to do it that way. I think I make the producer a little uncomfortable with my ideas that I have because <laughs> I just want it to be the best because one, my right. name's on it. Right. But with a, with a limit budget that they have because they're still so new, they have good stuff, but they're just not there yet with like their lighting rigs and stuff like that so i might have to be real back in but right now we're gonna go big mm -hmm. well that brings up a good question adaptability how, how good and how how much of a skill is being able to adapt last minute and by asking that i'll, I'll ask you kyle what was have you had a production where you had grandiose ideas as a company and a production and as a director and 
how last minute has a major change occurred? Like, has something been set up perfectly up until Tech Week and then middle of Tech Week you've had to change dramatically? Or how how comfortable are you with major change last minute? Well, actually, we um, when I was in the, my only equity show I've done up to this point was Our Town at USI. And when we got into Tech Week, we basically had to reblock the entire third act which was the the act that I was featured in because I played Joe Stoddard, the undertaker of the cemetery. And I remember, you know, I just, I feel like adapting to the vision of a director, if they change their mind, be like, oh, I didn't think of that. Let's do this differently instead. It honestly kind of opened my eyes to being like, okay, I just need to be easily adaptable and be ready whenever for a change in a show so with that kyle yeah you've been in world premiere shows before yeah. um like oh, with yeah. the pioneer taking the first one and you're getting those changes you know a day or two before you officially open with the ones that you do in the community do they have like a set date that like this is a script or does it change throughout the process because i have not done a world premiere show here in a while i used to but now i don't so has that changed where they have like a set script or does it change up until a certain point they say okay no more changes you know when i did when i did heavenly manor which was the show written by sharon dennis which was absolutely amazing a really funny show most of it stayed the same from its draft that they had a deadline to make on the draft and she had kind of made a few edits before we had gotten the script um but most of it stayed the same for the most part we may have changed a few lines during rehearsal but once we got to tech week it was pretty much set in stone it wasn't really nothing changed and then we added an intermission in between it because you know we have some older people in the cast so we needed them to go to the bathroom if they needed to so that was kind of kind of the the changes but there usually is a set date for an original show. I know Circles, everything was set in stone when we did Circles, when I stage managed it. So we basically, I think it's just, a, there's like a certain date that for like, especially like with stage two and their original plays, it honestly has to be at a certain date. Oh yeah, it was a really good play. For people that don't know, Kyle, you've been diagnosed from a very young age as being a high fog function um autism yes and yes you you've used theater has been with you since that diagnosis yeah i was diagnosed around the time i was 10 but i had a friend uh who was a friend of my mother's um who was a therapist because my mom works for a company called first steps which basically works with neurodivergent children who from the ages of zero to three and helps them kind of get into classes and gets them into like school and everything so basically this friend of mine my mother's basically was seeing me and she was like you should probably get him tested for autism and she was like i think he might have that but this was around the time i was like three or four so we waited a couple years and then i started showing more symptoms and my mother got me tested and ended up being autistic 
uh, autism spectrum disorder, which used to be called Asperger's. A lot of the community kind of took that name away from the the person who was very controversial. It was named after, but but yeah, I was diagnosed around the time I started doing theater. Um, probably after because I was I was ten years old in two thousand eight, so that would have been around the time I started theater was with Hello Dolly. Are there any special precautions you have to take when you take on a role? Is there anything? that you have to be very aware of going into yes. the situation. There is a lot of things. And I actually went through a lot of that in college. Um, Forgot your log list. Yeah, my <laughs> <laughs> long list. Um, no, um, but one of the main things that I learned about was trying to find vulnerability in a, in a scene. Because there are certain emotions that are hard for me to unlock, like crying, being sad, going through all those kinds of emotions. And I have to find a roadmap to try to find a sense of that vulnerability that I can portray on stage. Eye contact was the thing that I had to work on. And, you know, that's kind of one of the kind of one of the symptoms is, you know, not great eye contact with people. Like sometimes if you're in a conversation, if you'll ever have a conversation with me, I might look completely somewhere else other than the conversation. I think it's just that and also focusing. I have ADD as well, so it kind of is a little hard with my attention deficit disorder to kind of focus sometimes, but that's where I have to really hyper-focus into a scene and the people around me. I would have never known you had ADD. Never. Yeah, yeah I... You do a great job with that then. Thank you. Thank you. Do you feel like there are productions and stuff that talk about people that are on the spectrum that are as, yeah. as relevant. And if, have you been in a show like that before? Why well, I auditioned for a show called the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime USI, but I didn't make it, but I watched the rehearsal of it. And I, I feel like it really encapsulated people who were on the, who are on the autism spectrum, who are, you know, who are neurodivergent some things were a little bit different than me. Like the character didn't like being touched and they weren't like a hugger and stuff like that. But seeing how the character kind of dealt with those breakdowns and seeing how I used to go through break a bunch of meltdowns whenever I was a, a child, I really felt with that character and that character, the main character in that show is autistic. So it honestly... I felt that connection with that character at that moment. And they also said quotes that like I would say to. Now with that show, was the actor playing the autistic role, was he actually on the spectrum as well? No. So how do you feel in situations like that, just in general, where someone who's not on the spectrum kind of got cast in that role compared to someone who is, or if you're no, they're playing, say a gay person, they're not really gay. Right. Do you take offense to stuff like that? Or do you credit the person for taking on a role that is almost challenging to do in a way, if you don't know what it's like? Yeah. I feel like doing that kind of thing, like being like, a straight actor playing a gay character or a bisexual character even, or 
a neurodivergent person being played by a neurotypical person, it, you can fall into a trap. There have been many performances that I have seen throughout the years where people lean into stereotypes. If you lean into stereotypes like, for instance, James Corden and the prom when he had to play a gay character and he did the stereotypical lisp and he was just all like very over the top flamboyant and had no substance to it. That's where I felt like that really failed. Like with music as well with Maddie Ziegler just didn't, it just was a one note kind of performance with that character. I do feel like there definitely needs to be more opportunities for people who are neurodivergent. Definitely. And especially playing those kinds of characters, I feel like, you know, especially with a gay person playing a gay character, they get the experience more. But it's also interesting for someone to step inside of the shoes of someone. If you can find nuances to a character and play it truthfully and really do your homework and really find those, not not using stereotypes, but basically portraying the character as human and knowing that this is a human being and not a caricature, that's the most important thing for me as an actor. Like, I've played gay characters before, and I'm straight, you know? I I find that they are human. They're not different than me. I'm not different from them. They are, they are human. They just love someone that, you know, that they just love differently than me. So I have to find not i don't rely on that i rely on who they are as a person what is their what is their hopes dreams love and everything that's what i base my performance on is the human aspect so if you focus on the human aspect of a character with that being done if you are cast in one of those roles that's where i think you take a step in the right direction do you think the actor with usi did that role justice or did he take it to an extreme that kind of pushed that fine line? What do you think he did? I, I think he struck a really good balance with it. Honestly. I mean, this was a person that was, that had more kind of a, more of an, an edge on the, on the spectrum was a little bit less high functioning. Um, that wasn't like overly social who didn't like touching people, but I thought he Nate did a wonderful job with uh, embodying that character and really like every time he groaned, I could feel like the pain that was coming from those groans. It wasn't like he was just like groaning just because he was groaning. He was groaning from a place of like hurt and like overwhelming and that I felt that. And if you can find the humanness of those of those actions and what the person does that, you know, that's what I think is makes a authentic performance. So we can agree that you spent a lot of time and dedication in building a character. Oh yeah. We, we can also probably all three agree that you can tell there are a lot of, there are actors who don't build and develop that character. How do you go about acting alongside of, people who are just there to, to be there, for lack of better words. They enjoy it, they're having fun, but they are at that superficial, scratching the surface level. They're not giving 100%. What's your advice to people that 
don't give 100%, whether they choose not to or don't know how to. I definitely think with that, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're doing this just to like have fun or you have a story to tell. You have to find, you have to match the what, like, especially if you're with a scene partner who is giving it 110% and then you're giving around like 70-ish percent, you have to, you know, learn from the person that you're, that you're doing this with and really match the energy level of that person because they're going to, the other person's going to suffer that's giving it 110% when you're giving them half the energy. And that's where I feel like, like, if you're not really into this, like, some sometimes you just got to step back. Well, Weston, we've talked about this before. You, you particularly, with that director's mindset, you're watching the entire cast at all times on stage. Yeah, even, yeah, when I'm an audience member, I sometimes don't even watch the leads. I will right. watch an ensemble member to see mm-hmm. if you're giving the same performance that the leads are because even though you have nothing to say you always have something to do build your character come up with a backstory and show it on stage because i have been in a situation where i had gotten a note that i was upstaging the people in front Hmm. i was like well, then they need to step it up a little yeah, bit because exactly. I'm not going to change. If you're focused on me, who's a character in the background, I'm not going to change my thing. They just need to step up the role because they signed on to this. Right, exactly. It's Even though you may not be getting paid, that's still a job at the end of the day because there's a product that you're trying to sell yes. for a week or two. If they, you don't sell tickets, then the theater may or may not survive. Right. Depending on people coming to the show. Exactly. Go back to getting the role and learning your scene partners. That ramp. Do you know pretty early when you are working with other actors, what level they are going to be giving you? Oh, yeah. And then do you base kind of how you do you base your level off their level? Oh, yeah, for sure. I can definitely tell you when I did Matilda. The girl who was playing my wife, I remember just like we basically kind of had the same energy going at each other. Like we were at each other's throats in all of our scenes. So like and she and just the the energy that Piper was giving me made me want to give the give her the energy back. And then that energy exchange really was kind of like a ping pong game where we were like going off of each other and playing off each other. And I feel like that's kind of why we played it really well. When you step off stage and step out of rehearsals, how quickly does the switch flip from in character to Kyle? Oh, instantly. Instantly. Opposite for you, Weston? Um, it hasn't been a problem unless it's a very heavy show. Um, Laramie Project, I've done twice. It's just taxing on you. You're oh, trained. Yeah. When you go home, I did a show called Tribes, and my character was deaf. And so I either spoke deaf or signed throughout the whole show. And he's kind of an outcast in his family trying to fit in. 
because he's the one who speaks death. And it was just an exhausting uh, period. So I try to find a balance. Like once I get home, I take, you know, a cold shower and kind of just release it. But yeah, if I do a taxing show, it stays with me for a good while because I'm just so invested, especially if it's something that could actually happen, like being deaf and not fitting in with your family or what actually happened with Matthew Shepard. And how they live that, especially as a gay man close to his age when he was brutally killed. It's just a very taxing thing on you, but don't take roles like that for granted. I am honored to play them if I Mm -hmm. get the opportunity. And it challenges you in a positive way, which I kind of wish we did more of here around here. We kind of do the slapstick shows that people know, which is great because it brings in ticket revenue, but pushing boundaries and doing shows that people may not know about or feel uncomfortable doing. I wish we were around here a lot more. Oh, yeah. I, I would go out for those more than I would a show that everyone knows. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are like dark shows that I love more than like bright and cherry ones. Like, for instance, I'm not a huge fan of Grease, but I love Parade, and Parade's a way darker show than that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like it's more thought, and I love it because it's more thought provoking and it's more, you know, dark, and it makes you think and it makes you, it makes you just feel. And I even like that as a, as an audience member. I want to go to a show where, on my drive home, I'm thinking about it. And I question either my life's choices, kind of like Fairview. Fairview was yeah. like that borderline no one knew about, and it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable, though, in a good way that made people think and realize about themselves. So as an actor, I like it. As an audience member, I like it. Then going to a cheerful musical like Avenue Q. It's funny. It's a great it's a great show. It also, has, it, it also has weight, too. It does, but not... It, they turn it into a comedic way, though, which I don't... Yeah. If it's going to be dark and heavy, keep it that way. Let's go there. See that journey. Don't make it a laughable moment, like, within the next scene or within that right. scene to, you know, bring the audience back. Like, Avenue Q, you're, you're going to think, and you're going to be confronted with you know some controversial subjects but in a lighthearted way to make you laugh and acknowledge it and then happily go about your day and not have to set in those deep feelings because we got to get some money for monster school man right Right. i want to think a week or two a month from now about that show and just still think on it and yeah yeah do you have roles that have impacted you in such a way that you are forever changed. You can never not have that have impacted you. Does that, has that, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I for sure. I mean, for sure. And this may f- sound really stupid, but Brad and Rocky kind of really impacted me the way that I see myself image and see. I did a lot of things that I would have t- 
me in the past would have been very uncomfortable with. I mean, I had to wear high heels and a dress and something that I never thought I could do on stage, be in my underwear on stage, even doing some very raunchy scenes on stage, kind of, you know, it empowered me in a way that I felt like, oh, I could do this. You know, I, I felt like, oh, this really impacted me. But a role that I felt like really, I feel is a pretty important role that I played was Michael from Tick, Tick, Boom, who was basically, he was a man, a gay man in the 90s living with AIDS. And he never got to tell his best friend until the heat of an argument. And that scene always stuck with me whenever I left. And knowing, watching the movie and finding in he says a line in the movie where he says, it's not easy for me because I can't fall in love with anybody. I can't love who I love and I can't do this and because, you know, people are against it and, and especially in the nineties. So that really added a sense of weight for me as an actor. There are some weighty roles like Thomas Lincoln and, and young Abe where I felt, you know, there, there's a lot of weight there with him losing two family members and, him you know kind of the bent up anger with him but yeah i mean there i feel like there's a lot of roles that touch me in different ways now what role would you say has stuck with you the most either from the past or just current as well what one just sticks with you for a while like emotionally or just emotionally which which character I know you are close to all your characters because of all the research you do, but what's one that has just stuck with you that you still think about to this day? Oddly enough, I did a musical called First Date and I played the role of the waiter, which was, doesn't seem like a big role, but the show was only seven people. It was my first show that I got cast in, like my first big musical I got cast in at USI. And I didn't think that I was ever going to make it in that show. I never thought I was going to, you know, I felt like I just wasn't a great actor. I wasn't good enough to do it. And then all of a sudden I get cast and I start doing the show and just my confidence starts building up. And every single night I had an 11 o'clock number that brought down the whole house. I mean, and it just like. And just the reception I got from that role and just and, uh, and just the fun I had with that role was it just stuck with me. And that's probably my most proudest moment was going through that role. And it was just a happy time in my life. Was that incredibly validating from being a young, a young child in church plays, going through school, getting into college, doing it? OK, this is my moment. Finally, I can yeah. be. Yeah, I can be here. Oh, hands down. How do you think your acting career would have differed if you didn't get that role? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I I mean, I would have tried to look for other things, but I don't know if I would have considered going. I don't know if I would have considered going further as an actor like I am now, feeling like I wasn't, you know, because I had fumbled a lot in acting class and I felt like oh, I can't do that. Like. Now, with that statement that you just said, what would you tell your younger self now about the journey that you've been on? What positive reinforcement would you 
tell your younger self or anyone who is doubting their ability to be an actor? Because I feel like you're you doubt your ability even as a grown up and an actor. Like, can you can can I continue doing this? Is this still for me? Right. Do I still have it? What would you tell yeah. your younger self or someone who's like doubting those, themselves? You just have to work hard and you have to put in the dedication. If you have the drive to do something, do it and, and work and perfect your skill and, and get as much education as you can and go to workshops, read plays, do all these different things that will help you in the long run and just don't give up. I mean, just because you didn't get one opportunity doesn't mean that there's a great one around the corner. And I learned that through my career is that there may have been some jobs I didn't get, like Lame is, but then Searching for David's Heart came around in high school and I ended up getting the lead, one of the leads. So that like it there are opportunities around the corner. You just have to find the right opportunities and you have to be patient. Oh, that's a skill there. <laughs> that is a skill. I know. Um, I'm not that patient of a person either, but yeah, it's um well I think the beauty of theater is ultimately you're only putting on a show on for one night. Right. Whether it's a string of runs, you're only able to do one show yeah. a night. Exactly. Tomorrow's gonna be another day, tomorrow's gonna be another adventure. You're always trying to live in the moment, but know that tomorrow's coming. It's a beautiful craft. It's very grounding, I think. So I guess with that. Do you think is there anything that we haven't hit on that you want to talk about? Is there anything you want to uh, highlight, point out, uh, throw somebody under the bus? You know, feel no. free. No, I don't, I, I don't. I don't like throwing people under the bus. So. <gasps> oh, I'm not. Kyle. I'm not. I'm not really a bus thrower. So I throw the shade all the time. Oh uh, yeah, of course you do, <laughs> Kyle. You're supposed <laughs> to know I'm an angel. We can keep working in this business. <laughs> you're right. If you were not introduced to acting. Do you, is, is, are we at a point where it's impossible to even know where you would have went because you've done it from so young? Yeah, honestly. Will you ever hang it up? No, I, I hope never. I, I mean, even if I don't make it as a professional actor, I still want to do community theater. I still want to do things in the community. I still, my backup plan is to be a theater teacher. You know, I want something to do with theater because it's been such a big part of my life. Are you always preferring to stay on the acting side of the path or are you, do you have much interest in any other realm or career or, you know, roles in theater? You see, I have always wanted to direct. I've always wanted to direct and I want to take a few more directing workshops, classes to kind of get the, the full idea of how to really direct a show and how to, focus on the character dynamics and focus on creating a very cohesive show. But that's something that I really want to go down, do down the line. Like how, how, how big of a task do you think directing will be compared to an individual role? Oh, I think it is a bigger monster than I think acting is honestly, just because you have so many characters you have to work with. You were talking about wanting to, do more professional, do all this stuff. Do you yeah. kind of see yourself eventually leaving the Evansville community realm 
and moving and going to your next step, your next project that you have. Broadway bitches. Um, Hopefully. <laughs> okay. Isn't that the dream? I mean, that's like the big dream. That's the huge dream. Huge dream, but you know. Well, we'll currently you're way, way off off Broadway right now. Yes, so. I am. Well, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> it's it's a big industry. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you clearly have the the blueprint of how to develop a character to how to make it your own, to how to make it great. Um, it's just get you waiting for that right opportunity, the right spark. Now, before we end this, Kyle, do you want to promote any of the shows that you have upcoming? So when this gets yes. released, people say, Hey, I want to go see him in the show and the show yes. and stuff like that. Yes. Um, I am. Getting ready to start rehearsals for Avenue Q, which will run the last weekend of March. So March 31st, April 1st, and April 2nd. And we may have a holdover week. It just depends on ticket sales. If it was like what they were for rent, we will do another weekend. And then I will be reprising my role as the Republican committeeman in the newly established 18, 1816 productions production of the rivalry at the Lincoln Amphitheater, which will be playing at the end of May. So, end of June. End of June. God dang it. End of June. End of June. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is the last full weekend of June. Come to the beautiful Lincoln Amphitheater in the middle of the beautiful woods in Lincoln City, Indiana. It is pretty out there. Yeah, it and wa- it, you get to watch some really heated debates. So, pretty feisty debates that happen during the show. And it might, people might get uncomfortable. And if you saw it in 2021, it's different. We have a few new actors yep. and a whole different set and lineup. So, just because you saw it then, doesn't mean you can't come see it now. Just because you're like, oh, I saw it before. I saw it back when they did it in 2021. It's a completely different show, completely different dynamic. We got a new Abraham Lincoln. So, and we got a whole new ensemble. I'm the only one from the original ensemble that's come back. And there's a new set design. Am I allowed to say that the bridge will be no more? Yeah, the bridge is no more. Rest in peace. Rest in peace to that beautiful, beautiful bridge. I know. I kind of want to take a piece of that bridge before they tear it down. Same, same. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do too. And with with coming back to the Lincoln show, yep, it's a one of those thought provoking shows where you might have been on one side yes. of the political party. Oh yeah. Now you may go back and see it differently with open eyes, and you might actually switch parties. Yeah, and the weird thing about it is, is um, what you think might be like oh, Douglas is the bad guy because he was for slavery and Lincoln was the good guy. He was against slavery. There are things that they both say that either drive you away or will actually lure you a little bit. Like some of the things that Abe says might be a little off-putting in today's times. Oh, 100%. Now, is it is it awful to say, Kyle, for how long I've done Lincoln, 101 years, <laughs> Until I saw the 2021 show with the debates, I 
guess I never knew that Lincoln was a Republican. I never did my research on him. I never paid attention to his political parties. And I was like, holy shit, Lincoln's actually Republican, and he was against slavery, and the Democrat was for slavery, which blew my mind. Thank you guys for having us. Uh, I've been Tyler and my co-host Weston and our lovely guest Kyle. Uh, appreciate it, fellas. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you for, for, thank for you. joining me. Uh, thank anybody you for listening, me. thank you for listening for listening to us. Uh, no, it was great. And I'm sure we'll be back more. So congratulations to our, our newest Avenue Q member and thank our you. newest director on, on the thing. So yeah. gentlemen, it's been fun. I'll thank tell the you. audience. Bye. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.